Father, we love you. We adore you. And God, your word is a treasure. Lord, it is a feast. God, nothing on this planet is alive the way your word is. It is the only word that is living. And God, what it does to us when we receive it. Lord, when we let it get down deep, it changes us. And Father, we desire not to be people that just kind of show up for church and we're religious and we feel good about ourselves in some areas. Father, we want to be transformed. God, we want to be that shining, brilliant, grassroots movement that you call the church that makes all the difference in any age. So Lord, do this today in Christ's name in us as we hear. Amen. Okay, who's feeling courageous today? Good. All right. So here we go. This is a sermon that's going to take a little courage, all right? So here we go. Um, on to today, our new mission statement says this. KPC's mission is to deeply experience the love and presence of God through lives of worship, to grow as faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ, and to serve a world hungry for His truth and love. Three very important words, experience, grow, and serve. Our vision statement says, KPC seeks to be a community whose passion for God cultivates compassion for people. And again, from last week and the week before, where did all this come from? Straight from the Great Commission, straight from the Greatest Commandment. Now, how we are going to get to this place that we have defined and really heard from the Lord, seven core values are going to get us there, okay? These core values come from the life of Jesus, they come from the words of Jesus, and these words are prayer, worship, discipleship, service, fellowship, outreach, and evangelism. And we said, okay, for the summer, what we're going to do is take each one of these words and we're going to unpack them. So last week, we talked to you about prayer, the importance of prayer, that we are a house of prayer, that prayer didn't just land, you know, like, hey, that just happened to pop up as number one. It is our priority, okay? So we talked about this experience, prayer. Well, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about growth, all right? Growing up in God. So we're going to talk about discipleship. Now, discipleship is a word that tends to bring three typical responses out of people. The first response is, discipleship, yay, I love discipleship. Discipleship's awesome. Uh, the, the second response is, discipleship, what does that mean? I, I, I haven't heard that word anywhere else in the world. What is this thing called discipleship? And then the third response, if we're honest, in many places we've been, the third response to discipleship is simply, <laughs> I mean, really, people react this way, you know? Discipleship, in other words, means very different things to different people. You know, it's kind of like um, if you've ever had the privilege like our family has of living above the Mason-Dixon line and below the Mason-Dixon line, you know that there are other, other phrases and words that have very different meaning depending on what part of the country you're in, you know? Like um, when we were up in Boston, if you said the word fixing, well, fixing means you're about to repair something. You know, I'm going out, you know, right now I am fixing my vehicle. In the South, fixing means I'm about to do something. You know, I'm, I'm fixing to get up and cut the grass in just a minute, get off my back, you know. That's what it means. You know, bless your heart. Um, up North, bless your heart is a term of endearment. You know, it's a sweet thing. In the South, bless your heart means you must be a moron. Bless your heart, you know. <laughs> And, and then one of my favorites is pitcher. This, this, this is my favorite. Pitcher up north. A pitcher, right? 
plays baseball, beautiful form, I know, played many leagues of uh, many years. Of, uh, so a pitcher plays baseball, right? Or a pitcher holds iced tea. In the South, a pitcher is something that hangs on the wall. You know, that's a pretty old pitcher up there. And, and listen, if you're offended, I am from the South, okay? My family is from Louisiana. And yeah, Louisiana, ha half of them are. The other half are from England, okay? Put that together. My mother is from Manchester, England. My father is from Cajun, Louisiana, Central Louisiana. Some people go, Steve, you're a weird dude. Just look at my family. I can't help it. But the, the point is, I have the right to pick on the South because I am from among them, all right? So don't get offended. But listen, when it comes to discipleship, the point is this. We need to be clear about what discipleship is. We need to be singing off the same sheet, have the same understanding. We, we, we can't be nebulous or confused over this, okay? Because listen, without discipleship, the church will never do what God has called it to do. When discipleship is absent in the body of Christ, we cannot become the children of God as God describes us. Take out discipleship and we are in trouble. So the question is, what exactly is discipleship? Now, many people would say a discipleship is a, a disciple is a student, right? A disciple is a learner. But here's the problem. When you look at the New Testament and you hear the words of Jesus and you hear the instructions of Paul and, and the call and the invitation, a disciple is much more than that. And if you do nothing more than just look at the people who are called disciples, what you see is more than somebody sitting there taking notes, right? Or, or somebody filling their mind with a bunch of information. You look at the 12 disciples. You look at the New Testament church. You look at any of those historic figures that were blazing for God, you always see the same thing. You see a people that are devoted to prayer. They are a worshiping people, a loving people, a giving people. That, 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 I mean, this just an incredible group of men and women who are filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, it, they are like a walking billboard. They are living the message. They refuse to keep the message to themselves. That's a disciple. You know, disciples in Scripture, these are men and women who are empowered and they are moved by the Holy Spirit. And they will, they will do one of two things. They will either turn their world upside down for Jesus Christ or they will die trying to t turn their world upside down for Jesus Christ. That, that's a disciple. You know, a, a disciple, it, it's, it's just, it's a community of people whose passion for God cultivates compassion for the world. Did you see what I just did there with the vision statement? And yeah, okay, all right, just making sure, I, shameless plug, all right? But seriously though, this is actually what Jesus is after when he calls for disciples. Um, today I wanna share with you what I would call the, 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 the new, or the gospel, uh, the gospel's definitive passage on discipleship, okay? So this is the passage of scripture coming from the mouth of Jesus saying what he's looking for in disciples. And get this, this is why I said we need courage. So listen up. Um, oh, wait, before I start this, it's very important that we note the context of, uh, of, of Luke 14 here, because Jesus has started his journey to the cross. And we know at the cross, Jesus Christ will die. And so what Jesus is doing here contextually in Luke 14 is he is really saying to a crowd of people, right? Everybody wants in. What he's saying to them look, is, look, if you are going to follow me, if you're going to be a disciple, you're heading to the cross as well. 
You are going to a very real cross. Death is involved. And, and it is different for us, the cross we're, we're going to bear, the cross that we're going to carry, the cross that we are going to. But y'all, it is crucifixion nonetheless. And we need to know that when we go, a disciple, yes, we got to know what we're in store for. So Jesus, fortunately, makes it very clear to us. So listen to verses 25 through 27. It says, now great crowds accompany Jesus. And he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so, so Jesus opens up here, and he is speaking to, to, to the crowd, and Jesus understands. I mean, the whole point here is Jesus knows in this moment many people are going to refuse the invitation. I mean, after all, when you open up like this and you say these things, the crowd is going to dispel. You know, they're going to go somewhere because what has Jesus just said? Look, we as followers of him, we're supposed to hate the people that are dearest to us. I mean, boy, if that's not enough to kill whatever church program you got going, man, I, I mean, there you go. And yet we know the heart of Jesus. We've seen the ministry of Jesus. We know that Jesus is God, therefore Jesus is love. Jesus is not telling us that we are to detest our family, abhor our family, despise our family. Jesus is not saying that. But what he's doing is he is using very strong wording to make a clear point that our love for him is supposed to outshine it is supposed to be bigger than every other love and every other loyalty in our life. We are supposed to love him with such a great love that everybody else is like a blur compared to our love for Jesus. And see, see, the point here is that he's not telling us that we need to love them less. He's just saying love them more. So in other words, to live this out, I don't go home today and go, Jane, honey, it's been a great 25 years. But you know, it's time for you, you know, you really need to take, you know, I got to turn off the affection here. That, but Jesus is saying, look, come up into a higher love. There is so much more love for you. Enter up into this. But a discipleship has that kind of a love for Jesus Christ. And we might hear that and go, man, that, that's, just, that's just so extreme. I mean, who in the world has the right to require, to demand that kind of love out of us? Well, I'll tell you who does. The one who created this world, the one who made you and me, the only one who went to the cross and died for us. He's got the right to call for that kind of love out of you and I. The only one who is Lord, God, King, who is good, who is love. Jesus Christ has the right to call his disciples to love him more than anyone else out there anywhere. And by the way, that even includes ourselves, okay? Some of us are really good at loving ourselves. Jesus is saying your love for me comes even before your, your, your love uh, for your own self here. So it, it, the call is just so strong. And contextually, Jesus is not just talking about human beings. Jesus is also driving at the other stuff that we love on this planet. Well, like, like what other things is Jesus talking about? Well, he's 
talking about things, you know? All that stuff that makes life better, that makes life easier, that makes life more convenient. Jesus is saying, look, you've got to have open hands when it comes to that stuff. And I think if you stopped here, it would be real easy to conclude, okay, well, I, I, I just got what Jesus is after. Jesus wants me to be miserable. I mean, that's what Jesus is after. No, he's not after that. The point he's making is, look, following me, it's wholehearted. It's whole life. It's about being all in. It's all in. Because you see, as disciples, really, what we are saying, and there's a whole lot of flowery language in the church, and we sing this kind of stuff, but what he's saying is, look, those confessions, those songs that you sing about my will be done, Lord, I'm going your way, it, it, it's serious. He's taking this stuff serious as a disciple. We're no longer going our own way. We're no longer doing our own thing. It's no longer our will. What we're saying is, Lord, here is my life. From now on, it's yours. There's a story that you've written here. There's an adventure. And you say, only disciples walk this road. Lord, I'm one of them. And I lay everything down. And so we say, well, well then why all this talk about love? Because look, here's the thing. Whatever we love is what we're going to be about. So Jesus goes after the heart of it. Pun, you know, pun, pun intended here. It is about love. What we love, we will give our lives to. And that's what Jesus means when he calls us to bear our own cross, to take it up. Everything else is a distant second to him. Verses 28 through 33, great word picture of Jesus. Two of them, actually. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and he's not able to see it, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, but he was not able to finish. Laughing stock, or what king, he asks, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 uh, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if he's not able, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and he asks for terms of peace. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, going back to the beginning, renounce it all, cannot be my disciple. Jesus is telling us in such clear language here that it could cost us everything, everything to follow him. Wow. It will be inconvenience at time, inconvenient at times. Sacrifice is involved. Sacrifice, according to Jesus, is expected. It's actually required. And I'll tell you one thing in the church is we need to be upfront with people about this when they come to Christ. You know? There is so much blessing in the Christian life. There is so much goodness, so much sweetness. But I'll tell you, one of the great sins of the American church in the last 20 years is we've, we, we've just lowered the bar so far down that I'm not even sure it's church sometimes. Nothing is required. Oh, if we could just have your attendance, if we could just have your money, oh, if we could just count you among our number. That's much more than that, much more than that to follow Jesus Christ. And so what he's doing here in Luke 14 is Jesus is just asking us, are we willing to sacrifice everything? You know, are, are we willing, uh, you know, sometimes we say, well, are, uh, I would die for you, Jesus, really? Well, if we die for him, we'd certainly be willing to live for him. 
So this, this is very personal. I mean, th th these are real challenges. And I tell you, these are questions. These are truths that will stop you in your tracks. And I hope they do that for us today in just the best way. But again, this is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. William Barclay is a, is a commentator. He's not one of my favorites. He's not orthodox enough, if you ask me, but he tells some great devotional stories. And in illustrating Luke 14, he, te he tells a, a great little simple story. But there was once a young man who, uh, who was the, the student of a great teacher, according to him. He went out and told everybody, hey, I studied under this guy. This guy was my teacher. I was a student. Well, he spread it around enough to where one day someone came up to the great teacher and they said, hey, do you remember so-and-so? He says that he was one of your students. And the teacher looked back and said, hey, look, he may have attended my lectures, but he was never my student. See, there's a real difference here, and this is what Christ is driving at. I love what Greg Laurie says. He says, look, every single disciple, everyone who's a true disciple, they are a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. So again, this, this, this is what he's calling for. Just because we are a Christian, that does not mean we're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus captures this. In Matthew twenty-two fourteen. he says these words, look, many are invited, but very few are chosen, meaning, you know, very few have made the choice. Very few have stepped into, into being these chosen ones who are apostles and who are disciples. Because a disciple is someone different. A disciple is about the mission of Jesus Christ in this world. They have embraced the mission of Jesus Christ. They are the living mission of Jesus Christ. A disciple just has this mindset that, you know, Jesus Christ now, He is my life. He is my first love. He is my Lord. His word guides my steps. And, and you'll see a lot of that in, you know, among some Christians. Well, well, he says this, but you know what? There's kind of an off-ramp over here. Or, well, he said that, but I think he really meant this. A disciple says, no, the word of God absolutely guides my life in relationship, in times of conflict. It, you know, it, it, God's word guides me. It is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. And his spirit empowers me to walk that road. See, a disciple understands that, that, you know, Jesus wasn't just speaking to Peter when he said, you know what? Before you've been known as Kepha, today you are Peter. I tell you this, you are the rock and on this rock I will build my church. A disciple says, go ahead, Jesus. Make me into bedrock. Build your church on me. Verse 34 and 35, a disciple also understands that Jesus Christ means for us to be spiritual salt in this world. Spiritual salt. Now, what, what, what does Jesus mean by that? I mean, spiritual salt, what's he talking about here? The point is this, the outside world, when they come across us, they are meant to taste and see that the Lord is good when they run into us. We just bring flavor. We bring color into the world. We bring a savor into the world. If Jesus Christ is my Lord, if he is my first love, my life will have a heavenly flavor out there everywhere. And so we hear all of this, you know, and these are tough words. You know, I've been reading this all week going, oh God, you've got some work to do here. You know, this is the kind of sermon that, that doesn't bring a whole lot of amens. It kind of brings a whole lot of, wow, man, Jesus, you are serious. But it really brings us to a Joshua, because he said the amen, a Joshua 24, 15 moment. 
when we talk about discipleship, we really are at the place where we choose this day who we will serve. It's where it all begins for us. And so for you and I, you know, this is a question only we can answer. Will I be a disciple? I mean, it's a very intimate, very personal question. We're just left with the question, well, what's it going to be for me in my life? And it is your decision to make. But I will tell you this, our job as ministers, as elders, as pastors on the staff, our job is to prepare you for discipleship. It is to help make disciples. And I want you to know, with this new vision statement, this is one thing we aim to do, and we're really serious about it. I'll tell you how serious in a minute. But we are here to prepare you to live the mission of Jesus Christ, to become the mission of Jesus Christ. So we want to make sure you understand what discipleship is. We want to help you to grow up into disciples of Christ. So we want to prepare you for the challenges of discipleship, the changes of discipleship. And by the way, everybody who's ever taken, even put their toe in the water of discipleship, you might as well know this up front, it is life change if you walk this way. Everything about you that is in the way, everything that is, that is dead, everything that's broken is getting fixed, it's getting cleaned up, it's getting strengthened. Th- discipleship is about a whole life change. You remember that show, Extreme Makeover, roll away the bus. Just put yourself behind the bus because that's what's coming when you walk the road of discipleship. It is about a, a, an entire life transformation. So we have challenges in discipleship. We have changes in discipleship. Let me, let me just say one thing, and I save this, I put this at the end because I didn't want to sell it too soon. There are also rich rewards of discipleship. The way is hard. It is a narrow way, but I'm telling you the rewards of discipleship are phenomenal. To be used by God, to, to have your life read like the characters in the New Testament, to reap that kind of fruit, to be a part of people getting saved, transformed, God moving in power. Y'all, the rewards of discipleship are incredible. And we're here to prepare you for that. Amen, Barry, I'm with you, I'm excited, dude. But see, here's the thing, if we go this way as a church and this becomes our aim to, to really make a transformed people, it's going to be different than what you are used to in many other churches in your past. Um, Often in churches, what happens with discipleship is Bible information. We give people Bible information. We give you Bible information to help you to be a better person than everybody out there. You know, more moral, more conservative, you know, you're better than the guy across the street. And typically, that is the aim in the church. Now, would we admit to that? No, but that's what we do. That, that, that's what the program is, is designed for. It is it's to make us a little better than everybody else out there. And that's you know, maybe it's all fine and well at a certain level, but it misses the mark of Christ. The goal of discipleship is to make disciples. There was a woman in my church who once got this one time. We announced the, uh, the fall lineup of classes. She came up to me and she said, look, Steve, I'm sorry to complain, but I got to say something. I have been in the same, uh, the same Sunday school class, the same Bible class for 40 years, getting the same information. I come, I get information, I go home. Is this all there is to discipleship? And you know, as a pastor in one of the programs, I was a little offended with her, and you know, late, but she was right. She's exactly right. There is so much more. The goal of discipleship is to make disciples. 
It is to grow us up strong in Christ, strong in heart, strong in mind, strong in body, strong in relationships at home, in the workplace, around the world, everyone we know. It is to cultivate a deep, deep, passionate love for God. It's also to bring the knowledge of God in. And, and, and Earl will tell you this, man, I tell you the departure from just teaching kids the Word of God these days. You know, we make fun of like, like sword drills. We used to do that. You know, all the kids would flip to that. You know, uh, you know, oh, that's old school. I'll tell you one thing. That was the Word of God getting into kids. We got to get back there. You know, to know and live the Word of God. It's also to equip the body. It is to equip the body with the Word of God and help you to walk in the Spirit. There is something very wrong in a church when we hire professional ministry staff and they do all the ministry and you come and watch. There is something very wrong. The goal of pastors and ministers, it is to raise you up to be the church. So, as, as a pastor, you know, what does that look like? Well, I encourage, you know, I inspire. We get together in ministry and we'll walk together for a little while, you know? And then when the time is right, I take a step back and we go and watch you do it, you know? By the way, does that sound like anybody? Jesus and the disciples? But that, that, that really is the way discipleship ought to work in the church. You are equipped. You move in the power of the Spirit. Oh. Come on, right on. Hey. Can I tell you, can I stop and tell you, uh, well, let me tell you one more point and then, I, then I'll tell you a quick story because it's, it's absolutely not in the notes, but it's fun. It's also to do this. The goal of discipleship is to send witnesses out into the streets and into the world, okay? And anything less is, is not church, okay? Here's the story real quick. One time I got invited to speak in an African-American church in downtown Atlanta. So I went and I thought I had the hottest sermon in the world. So I start preaching and I can tell, um, you know, I'm struggling a little bit. So the, the crowd starts calling out to me, Lord Jesus, help this young man. Oh God, I just pray for him today. Lord, help him. And so... And this is where it all happens. So, you know, before this, I'm like this, you know, doing my notes. I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are crazy and I'm bombing. And so, and then I got angry because I'm like, they're interrupting me. But then I caught it. You know, I, I was like, oh my gosh. And I, I mean, ever since then, I've just been a madman. So anyway, <laughs> so, so, so here's, here's one of the things we're doing as a staff, okay? I'm doing as a pastor. I, I am asking some really good questions of discipleship. So in other words, I've kind of gotten off of LifeWay's curriculum page, and I'm saying, okay, God, how did you do it? How did you intend for discipleship to happen? Jesus, how did you do it? Paul, wh what does discipleship look like? And, and you see, what you see with Jesus and the disciples is there is some classroom time. You know, there is some formal lecture, but at the end of the day, most of the discipleship that happened with the disciples in the New Testament church, it actually happened as they did ministry together. So they learned and then they stepped out and they used it. And we, that, that's one of the things I'm saying, oh God, help us to get right there. Oh God, turn us into a living lab, you know, where we got the biology lesson and now, you know, we're dissecting the frog or whatever. Lord, get us to that place where we're living this. We're doing it. It becomes real because we immediately stepped into it and we received the anointing of what we just learned. And we can say, well, why? Why do all that? Well, here's why. Because Jesus never intended for the church to be a spiritual clubhouse. He had so much more in mind for, for you and for me. I mean, that's the reason why he gives us leadership in the first place. You know, Paul is very clear about this. Uh, I, I talked about this uh, when we went through Ephesians. You know, Paul says, hey, do you know the whole reason that Christ gave leadership to the church? Well, I'll read it to you. Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, 
evangelists, pastors, and teachers to the church so that the church would have the most rockin' spiritual show every week and could say, I go to the best church in town. No, 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 no. He gave all of those to us so that the body of Christ, to, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ would be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature, attaining, attaining, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I think that's got to be the goal. You know, how's, how's Glenn doing in, in growing up to be like Jesus? How's old Mark Sanum doing there? It really is that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. So the point of discipleship is not to fill people with knowledge. It is to raise us up to be one force for God in this world. <laughs> Woo! And that's not an original thought with me. Listen to Jesus, John 14, 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. That's our call. And by the way, there's a little Greek lesson, a real quick one, not in the notes. Belief in Scripture involves this a little bit, but if you said, I believe in Jesus Christ, and you didn't follow, people would laugh at you in the ancient Near East. They would say, no, belief is what you live. Belief is what you do. So it is knowledge coming together with life. And Jesus says that, whoever believes, they're going to do what I've been doing even greater, which is an invitation from our Lord to become disciples. And so this is what we're about. We are making a very deliberate turn into a discipleship model like this. And where we are starting as a church is we are going to search for and find a pastor whose whole focus is discipleship. Really his whole focus, why? Because that's how important it is, that we grow up into the fullness of Jesus Christ. Okay, I heard a little bit of excitement at the end. Is anybody up for this? Is anybody ready to walk this road? Good. Praise God. Then stand up and let me pray for you pre-disciples. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we give ourselves to you today. And I thank you, Lord, for the unexpected call of intimacy, because this is where discipleship begins. It involves all of the walls breaking down and us taking very deliberate steps towards you and toward one another. And I thank you, God, that legalism is so far away from discipleship. So, Father, we just welcome the freedom that your disciples have to minister. Lord, we say yes to training, to experimentation, Lord, to, to rising up in gifts, Lord, to, to learning for the sake of blessing. Lord, I thank you that discipleship has so much to do with us serving our world and reaching out to our world and speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs to hear it. So, Father, would you take us? And, Lord, whether we feel like a lump of clay today or one of those talkish, those little fig buds that haven't ripened, Lord, that is not the point. The point is you have invited us, and, Lord, you promised to equip us. Help us to be faithful in Jesus' name, to receive the Word of God, Lord, to receive the fullness of your Holy Spirit, God, to journey so deeply as worshipers, God, to pray without seeking, and Lord, to become your shining ones in this world. And I thank you that the world has been waiting for the sons and daughters of God to appear. 
So Lord, would you just craft us beautifully, perfectly into your image. We receive and we say yes, as much as we are able in this moment, to the call to follow you in Christ's name. Amen and amen.